Jambase is pleased to present Clusterflies, a covers compilation reimagining Fish's album Farmhouse, bonus songs, and revamped tracklist. The limited edition 3LP release was mastered by engineer Joe Lampert and includes custom artwork and a poster created by longtime Fish collaborator Jim Pollock. A pre-order is underway now through May 3rd at 11.59 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Visit www.clusterflies.com for purchasing information as well as full album credits and trackless details. Among the artists who recorded Fish covers for Clusterflies were Umphreys McGee's, Brendan Bayliss, Club Delph, Daniel Donato, Sylvan Esso, Chris Forsyth, Neil Francis, Jennifer Hartswick, Amy Helm, Lindsay Liu, Reed Mathis, White Denims, James Petrali, Strand of Oaks, Sadler Vaden, Vetiver, William Tyler, Riley Walker, and a supergroup led by Tim Palmieri. Each of the songs on Clusterflies will be featured via daily episodes of the Jam Bass Podcast, with interviews with the musicians that recorded the cover. This episode features First Tube, which was covered for Clusterflies by Riley Walker. Trey Anastasio held a concert on April 17, 1998, at the original Higher Ground in Winooski, just outside Burlington, Vermont. The at the time newly opened venue was co-founded by Trey's brother-in-law, Kevin Statzer. The show was billed as the 8-foot fluorescent tubes, a one-time only lineup consisting of local Burlington musicians supporting Anastasio for a performance that Fish.net describes as featuring, quote, costume dancers, theatrics that included people being hoisted by cables, Artists displaying various props, including Mike Gordon placing cactus props on stage, and innovative lighting that featured large fluorescent tubes, end quote. Made up of two sets, the night began with the debut of the eight-foot fluorescent tubes, which was trayed back by a core group of guitarist Tom Lawson of the Pants, vocalist Heloise Williams of Viper House, and perhaps most notably, the rhythm section of bassist Tony Markellis and drummer Russ Lawton, both of whom brought extensive resumes to the project. What makes the Trey Tony Russ pairing that night notable is that the trio would go on to form the first incarnation of the Trey Anastasio band, which made its debut back at the Higher Ground in February 1999. The Tab Trio was also the lineup on Trey's first solo tour in May 1999. Both Tony and Russ have remained members of the Trey Anastasio band, consistently collaborating with Trey through last year's The Beacon Jams residency in New York City. There were other firsts that went down at the 8-foot fluorescent tubes gig, besides the first public performance of what became Tab, the first set presented a batch of debut performances of Trey Anastasio original songs, several of which became staples of the Trey Anastasio band, and often Fish's repertoire as well. The 8-Foot Fluorescent Tube Show opened with one of those Trey tunes that has since become a regularly played song for both Tab and Fish, First Tube. I remember getting the tapes of the show shortly after it happened, but the label didn't read First Tube for the first set opener. Instead, it read Bing Bong. There were a few other mislabeled songs on that tape label. We became Sand, Free Thought became Mozambique, 
and what was before tagged as just a jam became last tube. First tube was likely labeled Bing Bong in reference to the lyrics that were sung. That's right, the song that earned Fish a Grammy Award nomination for Best Instrumental Rock Song for the version on Farmhouse initially had vocals. There was also a lengthy instrumental prelude played by Trey that introduced the song but did not accompany subsequent versions. Lawton has stated in a few interviews that he copped the first tube drum beat from a song called Shabadoo Day that he played with the Afrobeat band he was in during the late 1970s called Zebra. That's Zebra with two Zs. I couldn't find any evidence of Shabadoo Day, so if you're out there and have a copy of the tune, drop us a note, because we'd love to hear it. Speaking to Modern Drummer magazine, Lawton described the first time he, Trey, and Tony rehearsed, stating, quote, We got together, and I played Fish drummer John Fishman's kit. And Trey goes, Give me some groove that's like a fifth gear kind of thing. And I played the first tube beat. It was from a zebra song called Shabadoo Day. End quote. Let's listen to part of the eight-foot fluorescent tube show and the debut of Bing Bong, or as it's now properly known, first tube. First Tube was then the final song played when the Tranastasio band made its proper debut at the February 1999 show I mentioned before. By the end of the May 1999 Tab Acoustic Electric Tour I also just mentioned, First Tube was a full-on showstopper that highlighted many of the tour's electric second sets. It's been a staple of Tab shows ever since. A number of songs that debuted at the 8-foot fluorescent Tube show and on the Spring 1999 Tab Tour crossed over to Fish on their 1999 Summer Tour, including two that eventually landed on Farmhouse bug, and get back on the train. But First Tube was one of several similarly born Trey tunes that waited until Fish's fall 1999 tour to make its debut with the band. Along with fellow 8-foot fluorescent Tube's original Mozambique, First Tube made its Fish debut on September 9, 1999, in Vancouver, British Columbia. Here's how fans reacted to Fish's first First Tube in BC.
one of two instrumentals on Farmhouse, along with the in-law Josie Wales. First Tube earned Fish a Grammy Award nomination for Best Rock Instrumental Performance in 2001. Nominated alongside Peter Frampton, Kenny Wayne Shepherd, and Joe Satriani, Fish lost to Metallica, Michael Kamen, and the San Francisco Symphony's The Call of Cthulhu. The 2001 Grammy Awards were held on February 21st, a few months into Fish's first hiatus that began in October 2000 and lasted through 2002. Two nights later, on February 23rd, 2001, Fish keyboardist Paige McConnell sat in with the Trey Anastasio Band at the Rosen Ballroom in New York City. Paige's sit-in was the first time two members of Fish performed in public during the first hiatus. We're another very close friend of mine up here to help me out with this song. First Tube has not yet been played by Fish bassist Mike Gordon with his solo band, that group's guitarist Scott Murawski, who's a longtime member of Fish Friends' Max Creek, joined the Trey Anastasio band on First Tube on October 21, 2008, in Providence, Rhode Island. Scott wasn't the only guest on that night's encore. Future Dead & Company bandmates, bassist Oteil Burbridge, and Grateful Dead drummer Billy Kreutzmann also joined Tab's finale that night. Check out how that collaboration sounded. First Tube was the vehicle for another memorable collaboration at a headcount benefit held at the Capitol Theater in Port Chester, New York on September 7, 2012. The all-star finale that night saw The Roots joined by Trey for First Tube and several other songs. Trey also brought First Tube into the symphonic realm at performances held with orchestras in 2009 and again in later years. More recently, a tab performance of First Tube was augmented by the Rescue Squad string section at the finale of the Beacon Jams residency at the Beacon Theater in New York City. Here's a taste of Trey and the LA Philharmonic performing first tube together 
at the Hollywood Bowl on September 26, 2014. First Tube was seemingly named for its placement as the first song played at the 8-Foot Fluorescent Tube Show, which was also the first concert held at the original Higher Ground, which relocated to South Burlington in 2004. While those were firsts, the concert was not the first time Trey endeavored outside of Fish, having previously been involved in at least two groups whose focus was on jazz. In the mid-1990s, Trey and Fish drummer John Fishman teamed with mandolin player Jamie Macefield and bassist Stacey Starkweather of the Burlington-based Jazz Mandolin Project for shows where they played jazz standards under the moniker Bad Hat. The other jazz-oriented project that Trey was involved in before the 8-Foot Fluorescent Tube show was Surrender to the Air. The freeform jazz experiment led by Anastasio was in honor of the legacy of jazz pioneer Sun Ra. A pair of Surrender to the Air concerts were held on April 1st and 2nd, 1996, that were part of the closing of the Academy in New York City. Anastasio was joined by Sun Ra orchestra members Marshall Allen and Damon R. Choice, as well as Fishman, James Harvey, O'Teal Burbridge, Kofi Burbridge, Mark Rebo, John Modeski, Michael Ray, and Bob Gulati. The Collective also released a single self-titled album on Elector Records in 1996 that is described on Trey.com as, quote, a colorful exploration of sound, texture, and space, featuring long sections of free group improvisation connected by short segments conducted by Trey Anastasio. Dense, noisy, aggressive, sparse, ethereal, and beautiful. This album shows Trey in a new light, as the catalyst and performer of intensely energetic and personal music that falls well outside the conventions of pop, end quote. If you aren't familiar with the Surrender to the Air recordings, the music, like some of Sun Ra's most avant-garde work, gets pretty far out there, where space is indeed the place. Here's a clip taken from the Surrender to the Air studio album. Clusterfly's Farmhouse album cover project, the keys to first two were given to guitarist Riley Walker, who's no stranger to completely covering an album. In 2018, he recorded the Lily White Sessions, his interpretation of the notoriously shelved studio album recorded and abandoned by Dave Matthews Band. Walker is also no stranger to going out there. You'll often hear him in concert leaning into long improvisations that at times feel akin to the freeform approach of surrender to the air. For first tube, Riley certainly embraced improvisation, 
breaking open the song into a freeform 19-minute exploration of sound. I recently talked to Riley about Fish, recording First Tube, and more. Here's what he had to say. So, well, I don't know if you remember, you probably don't, but um, I, we chatted back in October of 2018. Uh, you came to Minneapolis and we spoke at First Ave. Um, yeah, I remember. I, um, that was funny. It was like a tour stories thing, right? Exactly. I yeah. About, yeah. I yeah, told you about getting, getting arrested for cocaine in Europe. It, precisely. So you do remember. Um, but you were also, yeah. uh, right around that time, you had just completed a, a Dave Matthews Band covers album. And uh, during that interview, I asked if there were any other bands whose albums you'd consider covering. And the first band you happened to mention completely unprompted was Fish, um, which I find interesting now looking back. Um, so do, do you remember the first time you, ha- you heard Fish? Yeah, I'm. I and to be totally transparent with all the great people of Jam Bass, like I, I did not grow up on Fish or the Dead. Um, I made fun of people who like ja, uh, jam bands. I mean, I was a I was a total poser, like punk rocker, indie rocker person. I had like hippie friends who enjoyed Fish, and you know, like I've um, I believe like all the cliches, you know, like dirty wook hippies, you know, yeah, wasn't my scene. I mean, it's funny because you know I did a Dave fucking Matthews record or whatever. You know, that was like a pop thing. Um, but j- jam bands to me was just like bottom of the rung, you know, wasn't my thing at all. So I, I do have memories of hearing them like, you know, chonging mids in a fucking Honda Accord somewhere <laughs> in Rockford, <laughs> Illinois, in a CVS parking lot, you know, while they played. And I, I didn't like it and I resented at the time. But as I've matured and become um, a, an incredibly more open-minded, less stoned on mids person. I think I, I love fish. I think they're so fantastic and the community's wonderful. Did you ever see him live? I dude, I've never seen fish live. And, uh, I have so many people who are like, I'm taking you to your first gig, man. So, wow. That blows me away. Cause, uh, again, going back to that conversation we had a couple of years ago, you talked about how you'd seen Dave Matthews a few times, but you've never seen fish play. No, the two didn't cross for me. I mean, I liked, yeah. I mean, I know they exist in the same world and like they have the same kind of maybe like the same crossover of a fan base, but I, I never saw Fish, um, never never saw any of the offshoots. Uh, no, I, I mean, I really wasn't educated on it at all. I stopped at Dave and then like I also like Pavement. It was weird. I'm weird. Well, uh, Fish guitarist Trey Anastasio is a huge Pavement fan. Like that's basically the only band he would ever mention in the '90s whenever he was asked what mm-hmm. his one of his favorite bands was. So that fits, I suppose. Um, so then, so we came to you with the seeing if you wanted to be involved in the project, and you landed on First Tube. Um, how, how did that come about? Uh, well, First Tube, I think it's a really uh, first off, it's just a great song and a great groove. And, um, there's no vocals in it and I didn't want to try to sing well, you know? Okay. Um, I can only sing my own stuff. Well, um, whenever I do a cover, I always fuck it up or something. (laughs) So I just wanted to do it justice with the music, hopefully. And I can't sing like Trey or like even present my own 
like lens on fish music singing, you know? So, and I, you know, and on, and honestly time was a, a factor in it. So we could just kind of crank out an instrumental jam. And I love that tune. And Ryan who plays drums on mm-hmm. the track, he, Ryan he's Jewel. a major, Ryan Jewell, he's a major fish head and he was advocating for that one really hard. Okay. Uh, so were, are you, were you very familiar with farmhouse, the record and, and, or, and first tube in general before the, the project came about? Uh, I'd become more familiar with it in the last few years. You know, I'm, I'm a latecomer to fish, which it seems, you know, uh, there's a cultural revolution of fish going around right now. And I guess yeah. I'm part of it. <laughs> I'm a latecomer, but the cool thing about fish fans is nobody's like fucking poser. Everybody's like, welcome to the fam, dude. You know? Well, so indeed, indeed. Well, welcome. I, I guess the last, the last few years I've gotten really into, you know, all their, you know, vast recordings and live record. I love them so much. So you mentioned, uh, Ryan Jewell plays drums on, your version of first tube and that he's a fish head. I, I think you mentioned too, when we talked again, back in 2018, that the bass player, uh, Andrew Scott Young also, uh, has some, some history as a, as a fish fan. Is that true too? Yeah. You know, they're definitely like, um, I would default to them as like the people who know what they're talking about the most with the jam band world. Okay. Um, I got, I got to just wound up here. You know, it's funny. <laughs> Well, um, well, we're we're glad to have you. <laughs> yeah, I'm happy to be here. Um, but Andrew grew up in the middle of Missouri and also in Colorado. So I think you know, being like him, spending a lot of time in Denver as a kid, you know, he was like exposed. You know, he's seen them all. So he's he's still a big fan and and remains like a major fish head for sure. So tell me about when you guys got together to record it, um, were you able to, I mean, we're in COVID time. So were you able to get in the same room together? Yeah, we did it in, uh, Brooklyn in New York, uh, the city, uh, for your listeners out there. Right. right. Um, and yeah, they came out and we did it in like an afternoon with my friend, Ben Greenberg, who's like a metal punk guy. And I don't think knows, he doesn't know the first thing about fish. So like when I sent him, the idea I was like, yo, dude, we're gonna do this fish thing. And he was like, whoa, man, I've never even heard this band. So it was cool oh, to wow. get like, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's not anti anything. He's just, mm-hmm. you know, he's a fucking metal. <laughs> yeah. So um, to get like his and his ear on the music was really cool because we kind of wanted to do like a fucked up noisy version of it. Um, I kind of just wanted to make it sound like, you know, Sun City Girls or U.S. Maple or um, sort of like out guitar music, even though the music is already super out, but you know, we kind of presented like a free improv noise element to it, which I thought would be cool, which is, uh, when, when we improvise us three, which we've been doing for years and years and years, we all have like a noise background. So I guess that kind of is natural. So we brought that to a fish song, you know, um, to hopefully kind of separate it from the rest of the pack, you know? Yeah. So was it just your, your history as improvising in the past together that was the sort of driving force for this recording. I mean, for the listeners out there, it's, it clocks in at about 19 minutes and it gets way the far out there, man. Way, I mean, it's, it's awesome, but it gets way the fuck out there. It's, it's, uh, it's definitely full of improvisation. So did you just hit record and go? Yeah. Well, I think we did like three or four 20 minute, takes of it you know okay. and we'd like try to find the groove and find the song within it yeah so uh the lick in there dun, 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 you know like <laughs> that kind of comes in and out 
Um, but yeah, I mean, I learned like, I, it's funny to like talk to like a jam band magazine and be put on jam band shows and be in jam band festivals. Um, I, I've come to really enjoy jam bands, you know, Mm -hmm. like, like the big ones that you would see at any big jam band festival. But jamming to me, I, I always thought I was just doing Sonic Youth or something. Because <laughs> right. I grew up like a big I grew up a big Sonic Youth fan and they would have like noisy, scronky guitar freakouts. And that was how I learned to jam. So like when I first started playing gigs or whatever, I was like, let's do long jammy parts like Sonic Youth. It was never this like, let's do dead parts or yeah. you know, weird transitions that are like based in folk. So, and it's funny that I've, you know, I didn't, I wasn't trying to do a jam band thing at all, like, like a string cheese sort of thing or anything, you know? Yeah. I mean, there's definitely that sort of uh, almost John Zorn based, like New York approach. That's maybe more jazz. Sonic Youth, I think kind of falls in there too. And I definitely get that from you guys. Um, one of the things you know, I've got your, uh, flops in New York record. Um, the, I, the, Uh I actually got the vinyl, um, so, oh, um, cool. yeah. Um, and, and I love that. And, and so you mentioned, uh, a couple of bands before, but do you have any other improvisational influences that, that maybe come through on that record or come through on first tube? Yeah. You know, like guitarist, I've always loved, I mean, going back to Sonic Youth, Thurston Moore and Lee Ronaldo are probably the biggest ones of like my youth that made me realize you can do stuff outside of the song in a live setting. You know, the record is just a document and then yeah. the live show is just like totally evaporating that document and making something new. Um, yeah. And just like weird underground music is what I came up on. And there was no concept of when I, when I was like 18 and 19 in Chicago and started to kind of find a scene mm-hmm. or whatever, mm-hmm. there there was no concept of songs. Nobody wrote songs. Everybody just did like noise jams that were all improvised, but it wasn't like this sit down in a folding chair in an art gallery improvisation. It was like, you know, pounding tall boys of PBR and like smoking cigs improvisation. You know, I never want to make anybody think that I think I'm like a true artist. You know, there's like a sense of humor with everything uh, that I do or I try to do. Um, And that's what I love about fish. It's not that they don't take themselves seriously. It's just, it's more welcoming than any sort of like Mm -hmm. New York improv arts grant funded sort of thing. It's like for the people more. So I try to take noise and make it, you know, it's for the people, man. Well, we we love it. Um, do you listen to a lot of improv, improvised music? Yeah, definitely. Um, like a lot of free jazz stuff, you know, guitarists like Derek Bailey or Sonny Chirac or mm-hmm. Mary Halverson. All, She's all like great. the yeah. scronk, yeah, all like the scronking free jazz greats are like my favorite musicians. And do you listen to your own improvised sets? I know that you you know, especially back before touring stopped, you were playing 45 minute completely improvised sets. Do you go back and listen to those? Do you tape those? Uh, I don't tape them myself much, but there's always, what's cool about like getting plugged in with this jam band community is that there's always a taper at the show. Yes. Now. yes. It's so, oh, I tell, I tell people like, yo, email me, I'll get you in for free if you're taping the show. And it's a really good opportunity. One to make new friends who are like, gearheads and so cool and selfless and just there to document live music and have fun. And two, you know, you get sent home with like a nice recording of your show and I always appreciate it. So, um, falling ass backwards into jam bands is never something I predicted when I was a teenager, but 
um, nothing bad has come of it and I'm so grateful for it. And I, I do go back and listen to those sets sometimes and it's awesome. And if one is really cool and clicks, I'm like, let's put this out on a tape or band camp or whatever. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, I hope you are able to, uh, get back out and, and play some more of those sets soon. And, yeah. and I hope you keep taping them and sharing those tapes. <laughs> yeah, man. Absolutely. Um, I'll let you get going. But, uh, while I have you, um, how, how is everything? Are you, uh, how are you dealing with the, with, with COVID and with the lockdown and lack of touring and all that stuff? Um, I'm fine. You know, it was like a shock at first, but I think I've kind of come around to really enjoying my time at home. Um, I've had to make it work. You know, I kind of got a little label going and that's keeping me super busy actually. And I'm really grateful for that. What's the name of the label? Husky Pants Records. I know. I love it. That's such a great name, man. I love it. <laughs> Thanks. Um, so that that keeps me really busy and uh, I have a lot of gratitude for that. Um, I've just had to kind of make it work and um, kind of get a new game plan. If anything, this whole time off of touring has made me realize like I'm actually pretty comfortable at home because before it was always like it's always about the next tour, the next gig. But now um it's it's like a really nice meditative Zen zone. I enjoy my time at home a lot and uh, I'm grateful for it. That's really good to hear because that's not something you always hear from from musicians, especially touring musicians. You know, a lot of times home can be the difficult part of of the lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. And I can only speak for myself. But, sure. Um, sure. I, I've really come to enjoy it and love it and um, uh, learn to just sit still and be comfortable and happy with that. Um, and any, any plans for 2021? Have you done any other recording besides first tube? Anything you could share? Yeah. I made a record with Kikigaku Moyo, who's like a cool psychedelic. Yeah. That's out like February 5th. I don't know when this is coming up, but, or it's like kind of out now. I don't know. Okay. But that's like a, that's a, I think any listener of the show and a jam base. Yeah. We love fan, them. They're fan, awesome. Yeah, so we made a record together. Um, we recorded it live. It's a live bootleg that was then okay. kind of chopped, chopped and screwed, and added a bunch of cool parts. It's really far out. Um, it's all improvised. So there's another document of like um, yeah. cool live music, and it's really exciting. Those guys are so friendly and so talented. So we made it work. When when did you record that? <clears throat> Two years ago in the okay. Netherlands at a festival. But we finally got around to putting out. That's out on my label. Husky pants and uh, your listeners can probably Google it or something. And uh, beyond, did, you, did you press that? Is it going to vinyl? Yeah, it's done. I have oh. them like in, in boxes right there. I'll, I'll send give you, you my one, address. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I'll send you one in the house. <laughs> I'm I'd teasing, love to hook I'm you teasing. <laughs> No, no, I got you. And uh, I recorded like a sings like a new Riley Walker record um, last fall that hopefully will come out this year. It's like songs and stuff. Oh yeah, cool, awesome. Well. Looking forward to all the new tunes that seem to be coming. And thanks for taking the time to chat with me. Thanks for being part of our Clusterflies project, recording First mm-hmm. Tube. It's uh, definitely one of the highlights of the record. And uh, again, thanks, man. So Thanks for everything. No, it's my pleasure. Tapers welcome, man. Yeah, we love tapers. Shout out tapers forever. That brings an end to this episode of the Jam Bass Podcast's Cluster Flies series. Many thanks to Riley for chatting with us and for participating in the Cluster Flies project. Be sure to visit Jam Bass to hear Riley Walker's cover of Fish's first tube and visit www.clusterflies.com to purchase your copy of Cluster Flies today.